Today's episode of Beyond the Rut is sponsored by Capshow, which is the ultimate AI content marketer for entrepreneurs who podcast, vlog, or live stream like yours truly. Stay tuned throughout this episode to discover more ways you can use Capshow for your content. For now, let's get straight into the episode. In the, that year that I had checked off all my boxes for accomplishments and I would be happy, right? And I wasn't happy. And then this happened and completely threw a wrench in everything that I thought was, was supposed to be what it was and what I wanted. Welcome to Beyond the Rut, the podcast that shares encouraging stories and practical tools to help pull you out of your rut and into a life worth living. I'm your host, Jerry Dugan, and we're going to be joined by lawyer, author, and speaker, Catherine Burmeister. Catherine's going to share with us her love of cats, but more importantly, what if you are caught in an addiction to living to the status quo? Her book is titled Addiction to the Status Quo, and she shares with us what is it like when, in fact, you probably know, you know, what is it that we stand to lose when we're living our lives to a checklist that other people created for our lives to go to school, to get that job, to have this career, to have these financial standpoints, these social status symbols, all that stuff. And what if, in the end, that does not matter for you and your life? So how do you recognize you're addicted to the status quo? How do you recognize what is success for you? So how do you define what success looks like for yourself? And how do you start finding happiness for you and the people around you? But more importantly for you, so that you can bring joy and happiness to others around you. So that's what we're talking about in this episode. If you're feeling stuck in your career, if you're feeling stuck in your family, whatever it may be, check out this episode, get inspired by it, and take some of the practical tools that Catherine is about to share with us. Here we go. All right. Hey, Catherine, how are things over there in Atlanta? They're going really well. How are they doing with you over in uh, Dallas? Dallas. It's Well, at the time we're recording this, it's summertime, it's August, it's hot. Yep. Hot. And maybe by the time this airs, it'll be nice and cold, and then I'll be complaining about how cold it is. But <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. And I'm glad that somebody from your team, Kelly, got us connected. Uh, and so your your background is as a lawyer, and I was just kind of looking at your, your rap sheet. I guess that's probably not the best way to put it, but um, so you, you practice law, you it seems like you do a lot of work with helping people get out of domestic violence. Um, not so much the perpetrator, but helping the victims of get free of the perpetrator and so on. And then I just, I was like, I just, all I had to do was read the next paragraph in your bio. And it was like, wait, she's got a passion for animal rescue. And so you're like a board member of a couple of different organizations that do, uh, rescues. And, uh, so like Ahimsa house was one of them. Like, I've never heard of that, but that sounds really cool. And, um, and then, of course, the thing that my wife's going to love is that you have four cats. Yeah, I mean, and there's a dog too, but you know, yeah, we we have one of those too. But yeah, the poor guy's got a complex. <laughs> they think they're cats after yeah. a certain point. Yeah. Trust me, I know. <laughs> uh, we we just got three kittens. Uh, we had another oh. cat. She passed away. She was old. Um, and uh, we didn't think we were going to get another cat. And we wound up adopting three kittens. And poor Oreo. I mean, he's an old dog too. And he's just like, "Are you guys for real?" Like. <laughs> Why? Why? Why did you do this to me? <laughs> and he he just gives us that look, like, are you going to let them do this? They're they're climbing Aww. on your drapes, and yeah, he's just. Uh, but he's kind of taking them in. He's like a big brother to them now. So if like the kittens get too rough with each other, he kind of just walks in the middle of them and just stands <laughs> Very passive, there. Aggressive, yeah. I'm like this guy. You know, he's, I love that. He's like big brother to these guys. Uh, so 
Yeah, they're they're adorable. They're they're kittens, so they're into everything. I love mm-hmm. it. Love it. Uh, but we didn't get you on here to talk about kittens. Uh, <laughs> uh, I would if you let me. I oh, would. Oh man, so. <laughs> I know. I'd have to rebrand the whole show just to do it. Yeah, yep. Because kittens are cool, guys. If you don't have kittens, you need to get a kitten. At least one. One. But you got to be committed. Maybe not three. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Three. Three is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, it, but at that point, it's like children. You got to make sure you got everything child-proofed and, you know, are the plants safe? You know, things you wouldn't normally think about, you got to think about. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, now you did your first animal rescue in sixth grade. Yeah. So I um, was one of those people that didn't listen to uh, somebody telling me no, uh, at least a little bit in my life. So I actually scaled a fence at an elementary school to rescue a kitten. And my assistant principal came out to me and was like, what do you think you're doing? I was like, clearly I am rescuing the cat. Like as if anyone <laughs> would think this was abnormal. And he's like, uh, you can't do that. I was like, well, I did. So here we are. So my dad used to work midnights for Delta Airlines. And so he was asleep during the day. So I definitely called my father, woke him up, of course, was like, can you come get this kit? My dad is such a great sport. And so he actually came and that's how we adopted our first kitten or cat, period. Um, so, yeah, that was my first rescue. Oh, wow. Wow. I, yeah. I love the, uh, not the disdain for the teacher, but the, uh, duh, I'm yeah. saving a kitten Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to explain this to you. Oh, man. And I could see where that carries over into your work as as a lawyer, helping people get out of domestic violence as well. Uh, yeah. So what I um, I, that's all been nonprofit work. So when I was on the um, board of a Hemza house, they they help people get out of domestic violence situations with their pets. So a huge percentage of people um, will not leave situations if they end up having to leave their pets, because obviously animals, we know that especially this day and age are such a huge part of our lives. And quite frequently for these people in violent situations, that's all they have. Um, and often the abuser uses the animals as leverage. Uh, they threaten to hurt them um, or kill them, honestly, if they, if this person leaves them. So Ahimsa House helps get the person into where they need to be generally. Um, and then Ahimsa House takes care of the animals in a temporary foster. So that way the person can focus on what they need to the animal is taken care of. Often they'll need medical care, um, but then the human and the animal can be reunited. So it really allows them to, to keep their family together and not have to stay in a bad situation. So they've done everything from dogs, to cats, to horses, guinea pigs, snakes. I mean, literally everything. Um, so they're a really great group. I was on the board for a number of years with them. Um, and that's, that's my extent of domestic violence work on that side of it, um, on the animal human relationship side of it. Uh, but I do do animal law pro bono. Um, through Animal Legal Defense Fund. So, um, so sometimes I'll take on some cases that way, or once in a blue moon, I'll do a uh, vicious, dangerous dog label defense case. So basically, the dog is the defendant, for lack of a better phrase. Um, and I'll do that if I believe that the dog's been wrongly accused. Uh, it, it kind of falls into that like criminal defense territory. So that's once in a blue moon. Um, but the majority of what I do is personal injury work. And it's very much a David and Goliath mentality. So you've got individuals going up against insurance companies. So that's what I do full time uh, with a practice. But I also am an author and a speaker and a coach and consultant uh, with my other business. So. Yeah. And that's what led you to this show. It was that yeah. the the book. Uh, let's see if I get the title right. Overcoming addiction to the status quo. Got it. Yep. Booyah! Jerry did his homework, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but the essence of the book is pretty much why we started this show. That you know, people have settled for the status quo. They they went to school. They got good grades. They got the good job. 
They've got the good pay, most likely. Um, but maybe that job really isn't what they thought it would be. The, the paycheck isn't bringing the fulfillment they thought it would. And yeah, they've just kind of fallen in line with somebody else's dream or somebody else's description of what the American dream is. And it, it seems like this book is speaking out against that and that we're not just stuck in these ruts of the status quo, but we're downright addicted to it. So, um, tell us, you know, what is it that, what is that addiction to the status quo? Let's start there and then we'll, we'll yeah. build out of it. So I define it as, um, expectations that we either put on ourselves or put on us by society, but ultimately we feel the need to live by them. So it's different for everybody. Um, everybody has an addiction to the status quo. I genuinely believe that. Um, and it just manifests in different ways for people. And I think sometimes quite frequently it will manifest in addictions to other um, other things in their life as a coping mechanism, um, because they don't know how to process their addiction to the status quo. So, um, and I was addicted to the status quo and I, I want to be clear. I don't use the word addiction flippantly. I genuinely believe it is, um, cause it causes people to make decisions that are against their own interests and that harm themselves and others. So to me, that's the epitome of an addiction, right? Um, and it's not a competition for who has worst addictions, but I believe that the addiction to the status quo can almost be more challenging just because it's more of like this existential concept. Um, and we don't have groups for status quo addiction, right? Um, like we do some of these other areas. So I think it's just harder to put your finger on exactly what it is. Um, but it's still very much an issue that plagues, I believe, all of our society to one degree or another. Yeah. How did you see this kind of pop up in your own life? Stay with us. We'll be right back. And now let's talk about how you can use Capshow to repurpose and market your content. If you have a business like me, you can upload your cornerstone long-form content, like podcast episodes or YouTube videos, into Capshow, and it will create all your content marketing assets for you. And here's the coolest part. Capshow is more than just a robotic AI tool. It's a powerful blend of artificial and human intelligence designed by marketers to help you organically reach more of the right people on more platforms. Go to beyondtherut.com slash capshow, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day trial and see for yourself. Now, back to the show. Yeah, so I, uh, from middle school, wanted to be a lawyer. Nobody in my family was a lawyer. Uh, I <laughs> just really, it resonated with me. So I read um, Letter from a Birmingham Jail by Martin Luther King and um, To Kill a Mockingbird. Obviously, MLK was not a lawyer, but he really spoke about the idea of just and unjust laws. Um, and that resonated with me a lot. So the idea of being a lawyer and being able to actively help people, um, you know, stand up against unjust laws that spoke to me. So from there, I literally decided I'm going to be a lawyer. I work my way backwards. Like, what do I need to do to get there? I had my first legal job in high school when I did joint enrollment. So I took college classes while I worked in a law firm instead of getting, you know, taking college course uh, credits, basically um, taking the test to get the credit. So did that, got my first legal job, went to law school, um, worked in big law, worked in small law, medium law. And then I got out of law school and got my dream job. And it, um, it was, you know, happened really soon after I got licensed. So it seemed like a great situation. There was a partner that practiced for 30 years. Um, my associates, uh, colleagues, they were a couple of years older than me. And we just had a really good dynamic. The partner let us learn by doing. He didn't keep us under his thumb. Um, and he really taught us the right way. 
So about a year and a half after I started there, uh, I get a call from my the senior associate out of the three of us. And he wanted all of us attorneys to come in early. And in my mind, because I've always been really self-critical and thought that I wasn't enough or I should be this way or should be that way. I thought it was something I had done. Literally had no evidence to support that. Um, but that's where my mind went. And because I was the new one, right? I, I probably did something. So not at all the case. Uh, our partner had uh, taken his own life and he had been stealing from clients for eight years. So that was obviously a huge blow to say the least, um, not least of which because he was such a giving person and would give you the shirt off of his back. And then he also taught us how to practice law the right way. So it was really hard to reconcile those two things. Um, and I had thought at that point in time earlier in the, that year that I had checked off all my boxes for accomplishments and I would be happy, right? And I wasn't happy. And then this happened and completely threw a wrench in everything that I thought was, was supposed to be what it was and what I wanted. Um, and then for a year after that, the senior associate, myself, and a paralegal continued the firm. And I basically was, was running the firm for all intents and purposes. My uh, part, then partner checked out mentally and physically. So the paralegal and myself were running the firm. And that was a lot of work. Um, for people who are not familiar, we had most of our cases in litigation, which just means there's a lot more timelines and deadlines we have to be aware of. Um, it was a lot to handle in addition to everything else that was happening in the background and processing our emotions from it. So about a year after the suicide, um, I was halfway around the world on a trip. I finally managed to get out, you know, on a vacation <laughs> and my paralegal calls me and she says, I, you know, I need emergency permission to do whatever we needed to do. Uh, we would mill practice if we, we didn't do it. I said, yes, of course. But why are you calling me? Like, why aren't you calling our partner? I can't get a hold of him. And he knew I was out of the country. Um, and so that really just hit me. Like, even though I'm halfway around the world, I planned everything out and I'm still being called on to carry somebody else's weight. Um, and so I got back in the country, he was at a retreat and just not responsive, couldn't get a hold of him. And everything hit me that day. And I just think my brain shut everything down because I had been operating on an adrenaline for so long that year. Yeah. And I hit what I say is my rock bottom of my addiction. And I was having suicidal ideations. So luckily, luckily, I've been in therapy long <laughs> enough to know uh, and know about myself to know that that's where I was, right? Yeah. I've dealt yeah. with anxiety and depression since high school. I've been very in tune with that and very proactive. So I knew where I was. I knew I needed to call my husband home to help me. And thankfully, obviously, he was able to come home. And it was as if the next day a switch had been flipped. Um, everything, it's one of those things to know what you need to do in your life to make things better or what's the best for you, but it's completely different to actually do it. Um, half the time, because it's hard, uh, and it's uncomfortable and it takes a lot of effort. But the other part of the time, as I think we're just uh, scared, we're scared of, of feeling like we're less than, um, and showing vulnerability. So thankfully overnight that changed for me. Literally woke up and I was completely comfortable saying, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, I'm going to open my own practice, which I never won my own business, let alone my own law practice. Um, yeah. And I just really was confident in the idea of who I was and okay with actually feeling that way. It's again, thinking it and then actually believing it or doing it are different things. And I finally believed it. And then I decided to write the book 
um, which was a little while after all of this, thankfully, because I think then I was far enough removed uh, to be able to process it in a healthy way, but not so far removed that I forgot the feelings that went into it. And in fact, when I was, I worked with a ghostwriter um, because I was so busy and went back and basically edited the book after she compiled it for me. Um, I had a hard time because this was actually during COVID last year because I didn't publish until this year. I was, of course, I was busy. So that was part of it. Yeah. The other part <laughs> of it was um, getting back into it. And I didn't realize it would do this. It was really hard for me emotionally to go back to that place. Um it's like, obviously I knew what had happened, but drilling down and tapping into my feelings to put it on paper really was difficult. And I wanted to be as authentic as possible because to me, there's no point in doing a story about what happened that way if, if I'm not going to be. So I was, but I finally realized what, what really changed. Of course, I say a flip switched overnight, but really I had finally, finally proven to myself that I was enough. And I never believed that up until that point. I always felt like even though I was above average in school or I had accomplished these things, I still wasn't enough. Um, and it also hit me that obviously my definition of happiness and success was not what it actually was. And that was crushing, I think, subconsciously too. And that's another reason it all kind of came to a head that day. So that's really what led me to write the book was to, I wanted to help other people realize that you don't have to hit that rock bottom to make changes in your life that are to your benefit yeah. for your long-term happiness. What was your definition of happiness before you'd hit that rock bottom? Like what were you operating yeah. off of? Yeah, I was operating off of, you know, get the, get the dream job, um, be start working cases, being a real lawyer. Um, and it just didn't, it's as if, you know, I was, I don't know. It's not like I expected like, you know, party, whatever favors to fly on my computer, but I still thought, oh, if I check that last box, everything will be good. And it just wasn't. Um, I've, I'd always been a box checker and an overachiever in that regard, but I guess I never hit that point where I thought I'd accomplished everything I wanted to. And so it really was discouraging in a sense when I realized that that didn't happen, that I didn't, I wasn't happy. And yeah. what I ultimately found out was happiness is, you know, you're living the best version of yourself. And that's, again, different for everybody, too. But you have to delve into what the best, best version of yourself is mm -hmm. to figure that out and then be confident in living that life. So you have to be happy with yourself as a human being before you can ever be happy with anything outside of yourself. Yeah. Now, it's really cool that, you know, the before definition was you know these criteria boom 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 it's a checklist went to the school check got these grades check got this degree check got this job check um now i'm like these positions uh, and it sounds like your new definition is much more vague or broad it's more almost like a mission statement to be the best version of you as you can and you know, of course, now you got to dig deeper. What, what does that look like? Because you do have to have some objectives. Um, so what is it that you maybe have in place to prevent somebody from reverting back to a checklist or a list of criteria? So it's like that broad statement to be the best you. And then you've got an idea of what that looks like every day. Uh, so how did you define what the best you and pursuing that is like without falling yeah. back into a checklist? 
Yeah. Um, first of all, it takes a lot of practice. Um, but I help people. And it's funny that you say a mission statement. That's what I do with people when I coach them is I actually basically set them up to have a mission, vision, and values for themselves as an individual, like little human startup. Um, because if you've operated on that premise for so long that your value is tied to the money you earn or the things you accomplish or the accolades you get, you're, you don't know how to operate any other way, right? Because otherwise you would have done it. Um, and it's not easy. But if you set those mission, vision, and values in place, you have some parameters to work within. Um, so think of it as like, you know, a soccer field. You have the boundaries to work within. And so you still have a lot of room to move around. But you know, if you go outside this line or something comes in that was not supposed to come in, it's not right. And it's not going to align with what you're trying to do. And so it makes it a lot easier to start saying yes and no to things um, and being more flexible with the idea that I'm not on, you know, a three foot wide path that doesn't deviate at all. It never, ever. Right. Because I think we all know life is not black and white, um, but we want it to be because it's easier. And I think it's emotionally more stable for us to believe that it is. But in reality, it's not. And that can be scary if you don't have any semblance of an idea of where you're going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, much different than what you had been working with beforehand. Definitely. Yes. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I was really able to work backwards when I decided I want to be a lawyer, you know, okay, check off these boxes. And, um, you know, there were hurdles. I didn't pass the bar exam the first time. Um, turns out that was anxiety. Uh, I didn't pass it the second time. I missed by one and two points respectively. So, uh, yeah, it was huge. Um, and those, that was just catastrophic to me. And then I finally achieved that. And then especially to get to my dream job and realize I wasn't truly happy. Uh, yeah, it, it did a lot. And it took me a long time, of course, to process this even after everything happened with my partner and him stealing money. Um, but that just goes to show that everything, you know, you can't put it in a little box and have it be perfect and sit there and you know, pull it out when you want to enjoy it and, you know, put it back or pull it out if you want to work on it. Like it's so intertwined with your daily life that that's really why it highlights even more that you have to work on yourself because you're not going to be able to process things individually without working on yourself at the same yeah. time, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. yeah. I, I like that. Uh, I'm trying to say it so I'm not repeating myself, but there's a little nuance in that. Like, it's not so rigid what you have now that if there's a day where things didn't go out the way you expected it, it's okay because you still move the needle the direction you wanted it to go. Um, and you, you're not again defined by that criteria anymore. And I think that that is a very important nuance for, uh, everyone to, to kind of pick up on that. You know, it, it's still important to have like life goals, life objectives, right. but you're not defining yourself by like, I'm not successful because I got this job or I got right. this thing. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a huge, uh, you know, if, if maybe somebody has a goal to like climb, I don't know, Mount Everest. And if they're defining themselves off of that and they don't climb Mount Everest, then it's like, Oh man, I'm a failure. Yeah. But not if you are not defining your life off of that like like exactly. that's, yeah you know so i think that's, when i always tell people too i mean it's you know it's scary it doesn't happen overnight um it's a complete change from the way you've been thinking about things it's complete 180 but the alternative is so much worse to me i'm not a very religious person i'm more spiritual but regardless of what you believe we know what we have here um, we don't know how long, but we know what we have. And the idea of getting to the end of your life, whenever that may be, and looking back and saying, wow, I really wish I had you know, been happier 
or I wish I'd lived, you know, something that was more fulfilling is um, really sad to me. Yeah. And, and that's so much scarier than taking a chance and being uncomfortable and having to work hard at this. Um, and this being the self-improvement and self-reflection to get to that point. Because it's uncomfortable, right? Nobody wants to look at themselves and be like, oh, here are all my deficiencies. It's not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but it's for, it's not to ridicule yourself and have that negative self-talk just you know, be a cycle. Because I had a problem with the negative self-talk. It's a way of learning about yourself to see where you want to go from that point. And then building on that to live the life that is leading to the best version of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That makes feedback so important. You know, that self-reflection, I mean, there's going to be feedback. I mean, even if it's just you kind of looking at where you are now, where you've come for the last few years. um, I know some people avoid that um, because they don't want to see any possible negative answer or they, they want to, they don't want to perceive anything that might be negative or in their face. Um, but it is, it's just the facts, you know, it's just, this is where you are. And then you decide from there, is this where I want to be? Or is there a different direction I want to go? Like, you know, to define who I am and, and to, to leave that legacy I want to leave. Um, so I, I see where that self-reflection really comes into play. Um, now what kind of process should somebody start with or like, what's that first step? I think, I think that's a good question to go with. Like, what's that first step? Uh, if I feel like I'm just kind of going through the motions, I'm stuck in the status quo. Um, I'm just kind of living my own groundhog day and I don't want to, what's that first step that somebody should Uh, take? The first step is realizing that you're not happy and not even realizing it, but admitting it to yourself. Um, I think that's one of the hardest things to do, quite frankly, um, because we've convinced ourselves and conditioned ourselves that if we do all these things that we thought the right, quote unquote, we'll be happy and you're just not. Um, so it, it, accepting that, admitting that to yourself and accepting it and then not sitting there too long, um, but looking for solutions past that. Um, and really it, it takes the time to reflect. And I, that's why I do this now in terms of coaching is because it's, it's tough to do on your own. Um, and I'm not a therapist, but I've done it enough with myself and I'm objective enough. in what I do as a lawyer that I really can make it methodical for people to discover on their own, but you've got to tune into yourself at that point. And I think so many people are so busy, understandably so with all their obligations, but also they don't want to self-reflect because again, it's uncomfortable and you can't get anywhere new if you don't understand where you are currently. Um, So those are the two biggest things, admitting that you're not happy and then realizing who am I at this moment is the next step. Yeah. Nice. Nice. And I'm I'm guessing the next step is where do I want to be? Exactly, yeah. exactly. And then putting into practice those those steps to get you to that place. And it's an ongoing process. It's not, again, it's not like you're, you know, you achieve this, you know, enlightened state and check a box and you're done. <laughs> it's ongoing. Yes. But what it is, is easier. It's an easier way to live life. So when you encounter adversity or challenges, it's a way of encountering them in a healthy way. A healthy process. So I think one of the biggest disservices our parents did to my generation, I think I was right on the beginning edges of it. And it's maybe younger generations that have gotten the full effect um, of everybody's a winner, right? Everybody gets a participation trophy. And there've been studies done that have shown that basically what it ended up doing, obviously not intentionally, was teaching everyone in that generation that they, if they don't succeed, they're failing. Yeah, And I don't 
I don't believe in failure. I, I genuinely don't. I think it's, you know, unless you're consciously going out there saying, yeah, I don't care and I'm not going to try, then, okay, maybe we can talk about that. But if you try and you just don't get where you think you're going to, um, or somebody else wins, in my case, you know, as a lawyer, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. It doesn't yeah. mean that we're actually failures, right? Um, you learn from the process. It's just an opportunity to learn and learn how to do something differently. So we didn't have that. I, like I said, it wasn't so much me as younger generations, but if people don't learn how to cope with adversity, how are they ever going to be able to take chances in life and move into an area that's less comfortable? Yeah. And how do they build resilience? Because yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, now, since the, the book's already out. Um, yeah. Cause I've got it. Uh, <laughs> Duh, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you heard from folks who have read it? Like, have readers come forward and reached out to you and said, "Thank you so much. This is what you know how it's helped me." And it, what's one of those stories that stood out to you? Yeah, it really has. So, um, I, I write it uh, obviously as my experience as a lawyer, but I think it can resonate with anybody who's just put themselves on a path. And so, I get a lot of people reaching out that are lawyers or law students. Um, but generally speaking, people that just are happy that somebody's talking about that, um, and identifying with the idea of not really being happy and that all their expectations weren't what they thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's interesting is I've noticed a trend, um, among younger people, younger people are willing to identify and accept these issues earlier on in their life. Um, and it's actually kind of interesting in my book. I saw it too. So I talked to a few women that are colleagues of mine. They're female lawyers. And I noticed in our stories too, we've had similar experiences about how we ended up on our own. And the older we were, the longer we tolerated, you know, the status quo. And I didn't plan that. I didn't know that until I started hearing, you know, more specifically their stories, but I noticed that trend. And so it's really interesting to see that I think as a culture, we're shifting to realize, okay, Having things, having money just sitting there in and of itself doesn't make me happy. I'm not willing to pay my dues at the expense of being treated like dirt, right? Um, and I think that's the the misconception with millennials is that, oh, they're not hardworking. I absolutely believe they're hardworking. It's just they're not willing to tolerate the same, you know, BS that people did for so many generations before. Yeah. Um, and that's where people misperceive what their intentions are, what their willingness is. So, I, that was the most interesting thing that's come out of people I've talked to is, is people younger are more willing to embrace this idea of working on themselves earlier. Mm-hmm. They are. Uh, as a whole, um, across that generation, that's something that I've even noticed. And uh, there's also that expectation that you know any organization they're a part of, that that organization really truly lives up to its core values and its own mission. So it, that's like the biggest form of integrity for, um, yeah, for a younger person to to notice and uh, because they want the same thing because they are working on themselves. They want their life to be authentic. And if they're part of an organization that is not authentic, they're like, Nope, I'm out. Um, so that's, that's huge for those of us who are employers. Keep that in mind. Uh, Don't be happy with the status quo. Um, now if folks want to reach out to you and learn more about you, where is the best place for them to go? Yeah, my website, KatherineFBurmeister.com. I'm sure you'll spell that out. Of course, I have a unique name. Um, But you can check out my social media on there. You can check out a link to Amazon to buy my book. Um, I also have information about my speaking topics that I do and soon to come are going to be a page just on coaching and consulting. Nice. 
Yeah. yeah. That's going to yeah. be important because there are going to be breeders who come across that and say, all right, I read your book. I like it. Help me navigate this. So yeah. uh, it, it's really cool to see that that is something that you're, you're building and, and bringing to the forefront soon. I'm, I'm sure you're juggling this with still practicing law and yeah, doing a book and tour. You know, <laughs> yeah. It's funny that you say that. So, I mean, all I'm, I'm really putting this into practice. I, uh, so I wanted to be a lawyer for so long. Right. And then I finally got to this point about, um, I'd say it was the beginning of this year. Uh, a few things happened with just really bringing to the forefront how hard I was working on cases and how some clients were not appreciative, which pe- that people are people, right? It's, it's going to happen. Um, but all the more how adversarial my profession is. And in particular, I was working so hard for so many people, and I'm just constantly hitting my head against the wall when it comes to the insurance companies. And that was really, really starting to take a toll on me. And so from there, realizing that I might be happier doing the coaching and the speaking full time has been really challenging for me to navigate. I, I intuitively know and feel that that's the right place for me to head is to scale back on my law firm and push for my other business. But it's still hard for me to let go of the idea of being defined as a lawyer because I wanted it for so long and I have identified as a lawyer for so long. Um, so it's not easy to do, right? Um, but all the more I had realized I didn't have to have all or none. I could still practice some and do some cases and still push forward mainly on my other business. So even I had to challenge my idea of this false dichotomy of having all or nothing. Um, so yeah, it's really been a, an interesting process to get to where I am. But to say all that to say, be open to where your life may lead you. Um, it may not even be planned and that's totally okay. And that's how some of the best things come about is when it's not planned. Perfect. That's like the perfect knowledge slash wisdom bomb to drop. And right at the end, right, <laughs> right there. Right at the end. Perfect. Uh, Catherine, it's been great to have you on. Uh, definitely everything we just talked about is going to be in the show notes, especially the link to your website. Um, and, and thank you again so much for being on here and, uh, yeah, connecting with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'd like to add to the first person who reaches out to me after this goes live um, and saying that, you know, they heard me on here. I'm happy to send a copy of the book, too. There you have it. Uh, it's a race now, guys. Go get it. Yep. Now, I hope you got a lot out of that conversation like I did. Uh, it was definitely a good reminder of why this show exists. And I, I just love the idea of, you know, recognize where you are right now and ask yourself, are you truly happy? Are you in the pursuit of happiness? And When I talk about happiness, I'm talking about, are you living in alignment with who you want to be in life? What kind of person you want to be? Or are you feeling like you're stuck in this rut that somebody else has created for you or uh, put in front of you? You thought that was the way to go. Because if you feel stuck, then the thing you need to do is recognize that you're stuck. Recognize you're not happy where you are. And when you're willing to accept that, start asking yourself, What does success look like for my life? When I go, what is the impact I wish I had on the world? What are the values that drive me? And what are the values I want to be known for? Those got to be the same thing, by the way. And then from there, you can start talking about guardrails. What will you always do in life? What will you never do in life? And that'll help you with your decision-making process through and through. Should you take this job? Should you scold your children in this way? You know, should you talk to your partner in this way or that way? All those things become easier when you know who you are, what your values are, and what your guardrails are. So 
that's what I got out of this. It's how I've been living my life for a while now. And I hope it's the same for you. Maybe it brings you the same kind of success that you're looking for, that we're finding for ourselves. So where do you go from here? You can check out the show notes at beyondtherut.com slash 311. Uh, also, if you're one of the first people to reach out to Catherine Burmeister after hearing this episode, let her know you heard about her on Beyond the Rut. Am I the first one? She'll send you a copy of her book, Overcome the Addiction to the Status Quo. And you know, from there, you know, check out her Instagram. You know, find her on social media, connect with her, follow her, all that good stuff. Uh, the other thing I want you to do is click the share button and share this with somebody you know who will also enjoy that aha moment of we don't have to live up to the status quo. And it turns out that's what I've been doing. So I'm glad you joined me this week, and I look forward to joining you again next week. But until next time, go live life beyond the rut. Take care. You know, the best thing I love about Cap Show is that they have one of the best communities ever. As a Cap Showian myself, I always get invited to masterminds with industry leaders to get the insights and marketing strategies that take my business to the next level. Plus, they love surprising and delighting us. Go to beyondtherut.com slash Cap Show, that's C-A-P-S-H-O, and start your 14-day free trial with the Cap Show team today and join me inside that community.